I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Martin Bayfield, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. This week, it's a one-off special at England headquarters as our Lawrence Delalio sits down for an exclusive interview with England head coach Eddie Jones. Since the summer tour, I mean, what, what, have, you, what have you been able to do? Have you, is it all about thinking about next season already? Or have you, I mean, you've got to have some downtime, haven't you? Have you managed to relax a little bit? Uh, yeah, but, you know, when you're coaching, you're always thinking about it in one way or the other. And, uh, yeah, it's just about how we can get better, how we can make the players better, how, as a coaching staff, we can get better. So, it's a, yeah, it's a relaxing time, but it's, uh, you know, you're always working a little bit away at it. So you, you travelled back with the team. You didn't, um, you didn't sort of... No, you, I, weren't, I, you weren't tempted to stay on in Australia for... I stayed on in Australia for I was three days. Say, you've got to stay a little bit, haven't you? <laughs> I'm sure some of the players were probably tempted to stay as well. Um, you're, you're no stranger to England. You've been here many times as a, as a coach previously. Your family, obviously, you've taken them around the world with you. How have they settled into the UK? I mean, are you, are you living here in London or do you choose to keep yeah, away no, from... No, we're out here, at, uh, out near Ascot. Uh, my wife's with me. My daughter's still in Australia. So she, stu- she actually did a university degree in England. OK. But she's gone back and she's working for the Australian Rugby Union now. So she's been getting a bit of stick lately. But, uh, no, my wife's, my wife's quite happy here. Uh, yeah, no, settled in well. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good spot. And, um, you, I mean, obviously, you've had to hit the ground running quite quickly, so it's been about the rugby straight away. But outside of the rugby, I mean, do you, it, there's so many things to do here for you and your family. Uh, do, do you give yourself that time to, to, to do things outside of rugby? I mean, you go yeah. and watch well, other we sports? Went, or... We went to Wimbledon, uh, been to the Test Cricket, so it's been great. You know, the sporting environment in yeah. England, particularly in the summer, is fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a good spot. I was just quite. I was doing a bit of reading and noticed um, that you went to school with 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 the two other brothers, yeah, with Michael yeah. and Glenn. I mean, that would would have been over fifty years ago, wouldn't it? I mean, in terms of <laughs> kindergarten school, I think. Yeah, we started kindy together. It's fifty years. Yeah, fifty one years. Uh, they got a bit fatter. I probably got a bit skinnier. <laughs> uh, but you know, so I was lucky. I played all my yeah. school rugby with those guys, so we didn't lose too many games. And you also co- you coached a little bit with uh, with Glenn, didn't you? Yeah, Glenn. And then, well, Glenn coached in two thousand three. He coached the backs in two thousand three. That's right. Yeah. And then you you were you were you weren't shy in bringing him back over to just to do a couple of sessions with the boys over in Australia as yeah, well. Yeah, no, it was good timing to bring him in on the Australian tour. Um, I hope you don't mind me asking, but in in um, I think it was 2013. You had you had some health issues. Yeah. You had it uh, sort of was it a stroke yeah, or yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, was that something that came completely out of the blue? And and if so, 
How has that changed you? As I mean, obviously, physically, you made a great recovery, which is fantastic yeah. news, and you did that quite quickly. But did it? Did it? it I mean, inevitably, it changes you as a person when you have a kind of a, a life-changing incident like that. Yeah, I think up until then, you think you're Superman, uh, and, and that happens. And and it probably just made me realise how lucky I was to be able to coach. And and probably every day since then, I've just appreciated the job I've got to do. You know, you get to coach young men all striving to be their best. You get yeah. to coach in the yeah, against the best people in the world. So I just really appreciated my job more. Yeah, it was great that you made a, a full recovery. I suppose looking back, in, in people know a lot about you as a, as a coach, but if I take you right back to, I think it was 1991, 92, um, when we all thought we were invincible, for sure. Um, what a lot of people don't know, is you, you did an exchange program, didn't you, with um, Matt Poole. I think he went yeah. over to Australia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a, a Leicester Tigers yeah, player, yeah. and you came over to Leicester. Yeah. Uh, and and had life as a player. Um, you were playing hooker then. Yeah. Um, just give us a bit of an insight into what that was like for an Australian to come over to to English rugby. I mean, they have they would have had guys like Dean Richards, Martin Johnson, Graham Roundtree. Um, yeah, yeah, all those guys. Were, were, you, were, you were you given a sniff? Were you given a chance at all? Uh, well, I was only a little hooker, and I wasn't a great player, but I, I played about three or four first grade games, I think. But I can remember one of the, the first A A team games I played. So I, I threw the ball in a quick line out, and one of the tight head props gra grabbed me on the side, and he said, "Son, we don't do that here." <laughs> so you know the great, and that was, and when you go to a team, yeah immediately understand their culture and that was one of the great things about Leicester. You know, it was all about hard work, it was all about how strong we could be in the forwards. It was and, a great and learning you, you experience. And um, you got to play a few, you played against Nuneaton, I think, in Oxford Uni, so you got to play a, a few games. What, what were your impressions of, um, of English rugby then? And, and you know, be honest, because I mean, it was, it was a very different game um, to probably what you'd experienced over in, in the Southern Hemisphere because of the, 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 the playing conditions, the weather conditions, all sorts. Very set piece and very conservative, but tough. <laughs> lots of kicking. Lots, lots of, of kicking. Yeah. Lots of mauling, lots of scrum. Yeah, I suppose it's, very, it's, it's, it's a good education because you get to see something completely different. Um, none of us earned any money in those days because the game went professional, as we know, in, in 95. So were you, I read somewhere that you were working in a furniture business, were you, for Matt yeah, Paul's I was, dad? I was working for his dad, working <laughs> in the warehouse. So that was... That, I wouldn't say it was fun. We used no. to go around delivering furniture around the Midlands. Yeah, it was no. bloody cold staying in that warehouse. Staying I bet it area. was. Well, I think Richard Cockrell ended up being a, a French polisher as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, every, everyone was working uh, pretty hard. I'm, I'm pretty sure Matt Poole would have had a better experience over in Australia, wouldn't he? Yeah, he, I think so. He wouldn't he have been on, working in the He was food. on the beach, mate, enjoying himself. <laughs> um, in terms of your coaching, um, you know, you've had an, a, quite an amazing journey. I, I remember, you, you know, when you were coaching Super Rugby, um, and didn't you, you won the first title yeah. there as an Australian yeah. uh, coach yeah. there with, with the team. Um, in 2003, um, I didn't get to see a huge amount of you, but I, I do remember um, there being a lot of rivalry between yourself and, and, uh, and Clive. Um, the press conferences used to get quite feisty and quite spiky. Um, I mean, what would you say is that the game of rugby's changed enormously in that time, in 12 years, but, you know, in terms of what you learn as a coach, has it, has it been an incredible journey from, from your progression? Yeah, well, you just keep learning all the time. You know, you have experiences where you win, you have experiences where you lose, and you and you learn from both. And the games change enormously. Yeah. The role of the the coach has changed enormously. You know, the young guys coming through are different now, so you got to coach differently. So you just got to keep learning. We um, we I, I might be wrong about this, but you used to have a bit of thing about nicknames in the in the squad. 
Um, you know, you like to have nicknames for each of the players, which is obviously creates a bit of fun. I've, I've no doubt. Was that is that right? Ah, uh, yeah, always. That's a bit yeah. of an Aussie thing, yeah. Yes, yeah. You must have had one for Clive, surely. Or, uh, or, or Martin no, I Johnson. Can't, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, when you when you um, you coached Saracens when you came over here, um, was that I think it was two thousand and six. Um, what given that you played here, um, you know, quite a lot earlier than that. When you came back as a coach, you'd obviously been studying, you know, rugby all over the world. What, what did you think? Had, had, uh, where did you think England's strengths were then? Um, on, in, you know, versus where they where they possibly are now. Was it was it still very much the same around the set piece and? Well, I think it was still very much around the set piece. The game was was changing slightly, and I think it's changed enormously the last four or five years. You know, I think some of the Premiership rugby here is of a, a very good standard. Um, you know, there are games that aren't so good, but <laughs> you know, every domestic comp has that. But I think, yeah. you know, the base of the game is still the same. That set piece orientation, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, there was a uh, there was quite a dip in England um, post two thousand and three. Um, we took a long time to build that team in, in, in 03. It took about six years. Personally speaking, I've always felt that given the resources and the, and, the, and, the, and the facilities and the number of players that England have, that you can't always be the best team in the world, but you should definitely be in the top three, really. What do you, what do you think was the, the reason for that, that dramatic drop from 2003 to, to really when you started to take over? Because England were, were in their doldrums by comparison to the resources that they had. Well, I think what inevitably happens after you've had a successful period, you know, when you win a World Cup, it means that most of your best players are at their peak. Yeah. So the period after those players aren't at their peak and, and a lot of the hard work you did when you were successful tends to fall away. And the young guys coming through, if they don't pick up that slack, then the team starts to fall away. And that's yeah. what happened with England. I think that it's never recovered, that it's never got back to saying, right, what Clive did was right. Mm. You know, the players worked hard, the senior players had a, had a key role, and it's never gone back to that. And, and all we've tried to do is, is go back to the past in a lot of yeah. ways. Do you, th do you think England have been guilty a little bit of trying to play in a, in a different way that doesn't necessarily suit the raw materials they've got? You know, when you look at the, each international country, you, They've got a, an identity, haven't they? They've got a DNA and a, and a sort of style of playing. And you just felt maybe post-2003, England tried to sort of go down that Southern Hemisphere route as opposed to just sticking to what has traditionally made them a very strong side and then trying to build on that. Is 100%. That fair? Yeah, I think they lost their identity. Like I, can re I still remember that game we played against you guys in Melbourne in 2003. Yeah. And we, we kicked off to you and you drove them all 60 metres. Yeah. And then in the second half, Ben Cohen scored a beautiful phase try. You know, about six or seven phases, mm. interchange of passes. I think maybe Greenwood gave the final pass yep. to Cohen. And that was an example of how England should play, using the power they had in the forwards, but then adding to it. Well, it used to make me laugh, actually, because as, as a forward, we used to watch the backs. You know, they practised about sort of 98 backs moves, and then in the game, they only used about two or three. <laughs> It's still the same, mate. Nothing's ever changed. Oh, yeah, we'll just go to that one that works. <laughs> um, your experiences in, in, uh, as the national coach in Australia, you know, in the early days you had some fantastic victories. Yeah. You, you beat the All Blacks. You know, you got, in, you got Australia to a, to a World Cup final. Yeah. And, but for, uh, um, you know, one, one drop kick, you could have even won yeah. that final. Um, then things went a little bit the other way. You, you know, you parted company with the Australian Rugby Union. Just talk me through that experience a little bit and, and 
And does that change your approach going forward with South Africa and now, now with England? Uh, I think one, one of the things I learned about that, I stayed too long, but it was my right. fifth year. I think, again, Australia were at their peak for that World Cup, and then you've got to rebuild, and rebuilding at the international level is hard, and Australia's going through it at the moment. You know, Michael Checker's in the yep. position now, he's got some of the older players are past it now, and the younger players just aren't good enough, so you've got this gap in, in your team, and, and therefore you've got a gap in performance. And, you know, the thing I've learned about international coaching, you, you get in there, you do a good job for four years, you build the team up, and then you give it to someone else to do. Right. I'm sure Ian Ritchie's taken note of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's that life cycle. In terms of developing the team, um, I'm sure you had it in, a, in your team in Australia and, and with other teams that you work with, but certainly in the team that I was lucky enough to play in, there was a, a number of characters that kind of develop over time. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time we were at our peak, I think that we had... Um, a real good leadership group and a, and a lot of characters in the team. Um, and they very much, I wouldn't say took over, but they certainly certainly led uh, rather than being coach-led. Is that something that you've, you've tried to sort of implement in this current England team straight away, just to say, look, guys, you know, we've got a lot of experience here. You guys have got to step forward. And it's probably been highlighted by your, your appointment of, of your captain, who's got that experience straight away. Yeah, no, definitely, mate. It's an important part of the team, you know. Rug rugby's a game, it's probably the most complex game in the world and the whole key to playing rugby well is to play it simply. Mm. And simple, simple doesn't mean you do things without thought, it means that the, the basics of the game are done well and it's all about doing those basics with good decision making yep. and decisions are made by the players. So yeah, Dylan's come in, he's done a great job, guys like Chris Robshaw, Haskell, you know, Alan Farrell and George Ford have all contributed to the team and, and the team's starting to grow more under their leadership. That's oh, been fantastic. Um, if I, I mean, you don't need reminding of, of, of what's happened in the last six months, but, um, you know, clearly you've won nine out of nine games. Um, England have, have won their first Grand Slam for since 2003. You went to Australia and you've won a test series over there 3-0. I mean, that's probably happened a lot quicker than even you might have expected right from the outset. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I thought we'd win the Six Nations. Look, you know, without being arrogant, I think England should always win the Six Nations or be in contention to win the Six yeah, Nations. Yeah, I, like, I agree with that. You might have some bad luck along the way that stops you winning it. But again, you know, exactly as you said, given the players and resources, you should be in the position to win the Six Nations. Australia, I thought, I thought we could beat them 2-1. You know, the third test, I, I was surprised how well we played. I've got yep. to admit that because we were tired. You know, and they had everything to play for and in a lot of ways we didn't have a lot to play for so it's a real credit to the players how they picked themselves up and got through that game which is a great yeah. sign. Talk to me about your, your two coaches or I mean that, what people don't realise now is uh, other than yourself there, there's a huge support system that, that helps an international rugby team. Um, you, you had to sort of um, reform that team uh, when you got appointed. You, you chose uh, Steve Borthwick and, and Paul Gustard uh, amongst many others, I'm sure. Yeah. Just give us an insight into their influence and their impact in a short space of time. Yeah, it wasn't as though the assistant coaches for Stuart weren't doing a good job, but I felt we needed a change and the, the whole team needed a change. You know, Steve and Guzzi are both young guys. You know, they've been successful in the England system. Steve's had some experience overseas in yeah. Japan. You know, and Steve's very analytic. Guzzi's more emotional, you know, 
you know, beating the chest type coach. So they're a nice combination together. Yeah. And now with Neil Hatley coming in, who's had a, a wealth of experience in the in the English game. We've got three coaches that understand English players. You know, they're, they're learning how to coach at the international level and, and they do most of the technical work. You know, and they're all, three of them are all outstanding. I always think that um, with, with with an international team, you know, you, you quite rightly have said this, I think, where, where can we make the biggest gain straight away would be the set piece, getting them back to being yeah. the, the bulldog, the tough English yeah. pack, um, get the, the bits and pieces right, get the defence right, which is obviously Guzzi's start, the set piece with, yeah. with, uh, with Steve Borthwick. The attacking game I've always found, certainly in the teams that I've played in, takes a bit more time to develop. Yeah. You know, you can't just start throwing in moves here, there yeah. and everywhere. You get the structures right, you get the basic pattern right, and then the attacking game builds with players as they learn how to, how to play. Is, is that fair? And you've been involved in the attacking side of the game. Is that something that you, you still want to progress uh, with this England team? And, and you might consider adding something else to your, to your options in attack? Maybe you should think about coaching, mate. That's 100% <laughs> right. We've tried to get the fundamentals right and then we'll just add the attack. And, I, you know, I don't see our attack being at its best until September 20th, 2019, yeah. which is the World Cup. And that's it's a slow process. We, you know, increase the skill base of the players, increase their understanding, and it's just, just step by step up. You've had um, some amazing highs uh, in your coaching career. You've had one or two uh, things that don't go your way, which happens to us all. Um, most recently, before the success with England, you had that amazing experience with the Japanese national side. I mean, it goes down in history. No one can take that away from you. That, how does that compare coaching a team like Japan and doing what you achieved with them against South Africa in the World Cup to now taking over um, you know, the national team of England? Well, the players are a hell of a lot bigger, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had two locks with Japan that was six foot... Two, I think, and weighed about 106 k's. I mean, as a, just just talk to me now as a, as a coaching uh, challenge. You know, it kind of makes you because you talk about rugby being a, a game for all shapes and sizes. It makes you completely think about coaching the game in a different way, doesn't it? Which is probably not yeah. a bad thing. You know, yeah, it's, like, no, no, it's, it's like going back to school. We've all been at school where we you look at the team that turn up off the bus and you yeah. go, "We're not going to beat them <laughs> by, by, by taking them on, are we?" Um, yeah, no, you learn to maximise your resources and that's what we did with Japan and, and it was fun, mate. You know, and that's when you get a bit older, as I am now in coaching, you want to have fun experiences yeah. and coaching Japan was fun because there was no pressure. Course. They hadn't won a game at the World Cup for 24 years, so to win three games you know, was out of this world and, and you had a team that had no expectation. You know, the difference coaching England is yeah. there's expectation, which I find fantastic because yeah. I want this... And it's been, I reckon the British Olympics has been yeah. great in that people are now starting to talk about, well, England should be winners rather than be yeah. apologetic losers. And that's what we want the rugby team to be. And also, I guess it's, a lot of things is about timing in life. I mean, I remember Warren Gatman saying to me when he, when he took over at Wasps, you know, we were seventh in the league. And he, he yeah. said, he looked at the players and just thought, there's no reason why the, the, this quality, this group yeah. should be seventh. They should be up near the top. Yeah. And I think you probably looked at the England team and yeah. thought, what are they doing playing the yeah. way they're playing and yeah. how they are? Yeah. And you could actually make a, a genuine improvement to that yeah. straight away? No, 100%. You know, a good bunch of players. Yeah. And they're all about the same age. And, and as you know, you know, great teams usually start with a bunch of young players together. They go through some hard times. Yeah. They start to learn how to win. Then they want to win all the time. And they yeah. get that real desire in their gut that they don't want to lose. Yeah, because winning is much more fun than losing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. I, I said to the boys after after the the last test, you know, 
we don't win that game, our dressing room's quiet, the other dressing room's noisy. And that's the difference between two or three points. Rugby's a tough sport. You don't want to be losing because it just becomes a, a, a whole lot tougher. Um, talk to me about the, the premiership. When you first came here, um, you know, it's cold. You, you, you had to wear a different scarf and hat every single week. It's very different <laughs> to what you're used to. Uh, we had a sort of, where's Eddie on the touchline and what scarf are you going to be wearing? Um, I mean, we, the season is what it is here. It starts in September, it finishes in May. We get every, you know, we get rain, snow, sun, everything. You never can quite know what's going to turn up. What's your assessment, sort of six months in, of the, of the strengths of the Premiership? I've been really impressed by the professionalism of the clubs. You know, having been in South Africa for a couple of weeks and seeing how the super rugby sides operate there, obviously coached in Australia, the, the clubs here are so professionally set up. You know, the, the quality and quantity of the, the coaching staff is outstanding in the facilities. And I think that's starting to be replicated in the standard of play. You know, I'd, I'd, start, I'd still like to see it be a bit more attacking, but, mm. you know, I'm sure that's going to come. Um, I was going to say, do you, I mean, is there, is there any... I mean, is there, if there is a weakness, it's probably that sides don't believe and back themselves all the time, do they? Yeah, well, I think they're just a little bit too set in what they do from certain positions rather than have a look at what the defence is doing and having a go. But having said that, I think you know, the game's going in the right direction. You've got 12 clubs here and no-one knows this year who's the club going down. You know, yeah. The competition's going to be so intense at the bottom and you know, that's, the, that's the great beauty of relegation and promotion. I think one of the things that sets the Premiership apart from, say, Super Rugby is that every game here is hotly contested. Yeah. You know, to me, watching Super Rugby at the end of the season, you see sides that are already knocked off and the games are very uninteresting. Whereas here, you've always got a contest. Of, you know, there's a contest for something going yeah. on and that's a great thing. I've always found that with, whenever there's a successful international side, it's kind of driven by a core of players. Yeah. I think back to the early England success and it was kind of Martin Johnson and yeah. that group from Leicester Tigers. I think when Wasps were doing well at the top of the table, we had a, a core group that, that drove that team. Um, Saracens at the moment of you know European champions, yeah. English champions. There's a real core of players in that team, leaders and just outstanding players yeah. that that certainly help you to drive yeah. the national side. How difficult is it for you to when you see what's going on in the Premiership to get those guys to then to buy into to what you're trying to do at to, uh, at international level? Uh, well, I think the players are so keen to play for England. I think that. Yeah, you know, they've been starved for success, mm. and you know, and you know it yourself. When you win something in Europe with your club team, yeah, you know, you, know you can be all those, you can beat all those players in Europe, and so there's no reason why you can't do it at the national level. You know, and and winning becomes almost contagious. And I think we've got that with Saris. I think Wasps are on their way up, aren't mm. they? You know, they've got a good bunch of players. You know, they want to start winning things. So we're we're getting a core of players who are desperate to win. So they're motivated by winning rather than participating. And also, you get that you're starting to create that that consecutive layer of competition in each position. Yeah. Um, yep. Where because to get the best out of each player, if he's got two or three guys underneath him really pushing him for that yep. spot, makes a huge difference. I just wonder when you took over the England team, there was it was obviously low on confidence in terms of what what had happened during the World Cup. Given what's happened in the last six months, have you seen that? That change in, in the not not swagger, but there's a bit of bit more confidence, and a, you know the, the guys are starting to grow into into players that genuinely believe they can get to the very top of uh, of world rugby. Oh, definitely. I think we saw that in Australia. You know, 
you know, when you play Australia in their own backyard, you know, the Australians are on the front foot. You yeah. know, they're taking you on everywhere they can. Well, you wrote the manual, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I quite wrote it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and, I, and the great thing for us, I think we took it to them. You know, you just that first test in, in Brisbane, I think, when Haskell hit Pocock, you know, it was a sign that, you know, we were here for the business boys. We're not here to be second fiddle. Yeah. You know, if we're good enough, we're going to win this. Just uh, in terms of your squad, you, you've named a, a sort of an, an enlarged squad for, for the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think towards the end of, of the month, you, you start to thin that down yeah. to what you want to work with during the um, uh, the autumn internationals, which will be a tough assignment. What, what, are you, what have you said to the group? Because clearly a lot of players have played a lot of footy in the last few months and they need a rest. What have you said to, to, to the group of players for what your expectations are for the first couple of months of the season? Because... As a player myself, I, I, I used to get very excited by the first of September because it was almost like a trial. Yeah, yeah. you know, I've got to, even though I, I might be the guy in possession of the jersey, I've got to prove it all over again yeah. in the first eight weeks of the season um, because I want to be named in your in your yeah. in your squad. Yeah, well, we always say to the players, you know, we expect you to be international players when you go back to your clubs. We expect you to be the leaders. We expect you to set the set the tone for for club rugby in England, and and that doesn't mean you have to play like. We want you to play for England, but your fundamentals have to be good. Your desire and your attitude have to be, has to be good. Yep. You have to get off the ground quickly and want to make tackles. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for. for. I'm quite. I'm, I'm interested by that because you you weren't shy, and I agree with you. By the way, you weren't shy in in um, in saying that if we want to be the best side in the world, we've got to get a lot fitter than we are yep. at the moment. When you first took over. Um, are you getting there with that? I mean, and there's probably still a way to go, isn't there? I mean, in terms of what we've just seen the All Blacks do to Australia, I think the players, it's, it's a timely reminder for them that, you know, I remember when, when we used to wake up in the morning, I used to think, what's the guy in black over the other side of the yeah. world doing today? Is it, you know, what's he doing to be a better player? And what am I doing that's, that's going to make me better than him? Is, is, is that the kind of mindset that the players have got? Yeah. Uh, well, the great thing for us, we haven't really touched on it yet. You know, we've got another 6 or 7% improvement at least in that in that physical area of conditioning at least which is, is so exciting because over the next three years we can build on that individually we can get each of the players better like someone like billy can improve en enormously you know he's just he's just touching the, he's touching the surface at the moment yeah so you know it's a really exciting time for these players and, and i think they're starting to get it in terms of the block coming up, the Autumn Internationals, you're not obviously looking beyond that at the moment. You're just looking at that block and, and, and seeing how you go. We, we can forget the All Blacks because they're not coming over this year, but there's some, there's some really interesting and, and challenging games in, in different ways for, for, for your team. Will you have a tried and trusted team or will you just go, actually, I've got a block of four matches and, and there's a whole group of players there and I'll just take it one by one and, and see where I go with it? Well, I was just having a look at it the other day. You know, Before the World Cup, we've probably got about 36 tests. Um, so every test, every test is important. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a purpose for every test we play. Uh, we'll certainly pick our our strongest team for South Africa. Yeah, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, and, and we haven't beaten South Africa since 2006. No, in fact, they've beaten us up every yeah. time. And they and you know what they're like, mate. They're just bullies. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a first task there for the first 23. Um, you're going to be without a couple of players. I mean, you've been pretty good with injuries thus yeah. far. You're going to be without a couple of players. Uh, that might give some opportunities for, for some, some younger players coming through. Uh, I notice you've, you've still got Josh Beaumont back in the, in, in the squad and, and he, 
you know, was a little bit unlucky towards the end of last season. He's now captain of his club. You've got yeah. Nathan Hughes coming through, who's now eligible. So there might be an opportunity for, for some of the guys to put a bit of pressure on, on, on the guys in the team. Oh, definitely. You know, we're going to miss Haskell. Uh, you know, he's been great for the team. Yeah. Uh, so there's a great opportunity in the back row for someone to come in and fill his spot. So we're, we're looking at a number of guys in that, in that area. And I'm assuming on the basis of what we've seen thus far, nine out of nine, um, you know, you'll take each game as it comes. I know you'll say that, but you're obviously looking to, to try and win every single game in the autumn. Yeah, no, no, no. But the first, first most important one, South Africa. If we win that, we'll be right for the rest of the series. Eddie, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much no, indeed. pleasure. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back next. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Next week with more of the best rugby insight and analysis.